Hi, everyone, and welcome to the State of State Schools podcast. I'm your host, John Stamper, Christian author, former homeschooler, and former public school teacher. Once a week, I'll give a quick recap of the most important headlines in education and pull back the curtain on what's really happening in our kids' schools. If you're a teacher, parent, or homeschool family, this podcast is for you. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 38. In this episode, I'll be recapping stories from the week of September 4th. Here's what I'm talking about. Updates on legislation in California, a California school that excluded white kids and white families from a school social event, the Alaska Board of Education voted to protect girls' sports, how family values can close education gaps, why hundreds of school boards across the country are suing major social media outlets and a teacher's union in Colorado told its teachers to break the law and then destroy the evidence. Story number one, the Jeffco public school system just outside Denver, Colorado, recently told its teachers that they should not be giving the students any type of survey about their preferred pronouns or gender identity. The reason is, is that there are many lawsuits over this issue. In fact, the district sent an email to its teachers that said, quote, please, no preferred pronoun slash gender identity questionnaire. Do not promise to keep information from parents, period, end quote. So this sounds like a good thing, right? Stop encouraging kids to play the pronoun game and don't keep information from the parents. That's a good thing. Well, not so fast. The local teachers union had something else in mind. They gave their own instructions to the teachers that were contrary to what the school district said. So the teachers union sent their own email to all the teachers saying, quote, if you do a questionnaire, you were just told not to do one, but the teachers union says, if you do a questionnaire, please make it a paper and pencil activity. Any digital records are more permanent and may be requested under federal law. Make your notations about the students and do not hold on to the documents, period, end quote. Wow. So that's super sketchy, very slimy, dishonest, unethical. So the union is just telling the teachers to totally disregard what their actual employer explicitly told them not to do and to go ahead and just do it anyway. Right? Just keep all of your secret gender information on the kids and then get rid of the evidence. Not only that, they're trying to ditch evidence that federal law requires them to provide. This is nuts. And apparently, dozens of teachers followed these instructions. They had their students complete this pronoun gender survey against their district's orders. Then they made their notes about the students, about their intimate sexual information. Then they got rid of the evidence as instructed by the teachers union. They did everything but, you know, bleach the hard drives, right? Well, as is often the case, someone forgot how to do their job because one mother of three students in the school district said that her son came home with one of these gender identity surveys. And she said she felt, quote, deceived, lied to, and taken advantage of, end quote. She went on to say that, quote, I don't feel I can trust the teachers. This is not political, it's just they're breaking the law, end quote. 
So in response to this news, the school board said that what the teachers union did is illegal and that it could cost teachers their jobs and their teaching licenses. The school board also encouraged the teachers union to change their message and issue a correction, but the teachers union has refused to do so. Instead, the president of the teachers union is doubling down on what they said. This is the person who told teachers to disobey their employers, to deceive parents, deceive children, and destroy evidence. So this is what the president of this teachers union um, had to say, quote, by allowing students an optional avenue to share their preferred pronouns while maintaining student privacy, we can better ensure that students feel safe, respected, and validated, end quote. So you see how they posture themselves as being the good guys? If they claim to be protecting students' safety and showing them respect and validating them, what does that imply about the parents? Well, if the teachers are providing safety, that implies the parents are dangerous. If the teachers are giving respect and validation, that implies the parents do not respect their kids and do not appreciate who they are. This is the subtle way that parents are being undermined. Anyway, the union president went on to say, quote, transgender and gender nonconforming students have the right to discuss and express their gender identity and expression openly and to decide when, with whom, and how much to share private information, end quote. So again, now that they've already established that parents are dangerous and disrespectful to their children, the teachers union now assumes the parental role and they're the ones telling the children what they can and can't do. Mom and dad, take a hike. So let's make sense of what's happening with all of this. First of all, the school board who hires every school employee, the school board told the teachers, do not give out gender surveys. Do not keep this information from parents. Direct quote. Then the teachers union which is a separate entity altogether. They're totally separate from the school board. They don't hire, they don't pay teachers. The teachers union told all the teachers, eh, don't worry about what your employer said. Even though they're the ones who signed your paychecks, go ahead and do the gender survey anyway. And you know why? Because these kids have a right to discuss their sexuality whenever and wherever they want. Unless it's with their dangerous and disrespectful parents. Also, and this is me, by the way, being the teachers union, sarcastically. Teachers, make sure you do these surveys secretly and on paper so you can destroy the evidence, even though it violates federal law. That way, no one finds out what you did. Oh, and one last thing. Before you destroy all the evidence, make sure you note all the private, intimate, sexual details of all these kids. You need to have that. So this is an example of the teachers union intentionally undermining parents, totally subverting a public school district and even federal law and having secret communications with young children about their sexuality. And until I read this article, I had never even heard of this school district before, right? This isn't LA or New York or Seattle, Portland, Chicago. It's a suburb in Colorado. And as is often the case, this was done in secret behind the curtain intentionally so parents are not involved you know those bad dangerous disrespectful parents this intentional attack on the family is a marxist tactic 
Mao did this sort of thing in China. Hitler even said that he would take children from their families if the older generation isn't accustomed to our way of thinking. The transgender movement openly defies God's word, which is very clear on the issue of biological sex. God created mankind as male and female. God is not schizophrenic. He's not changing his mind from one minute to the next. He's not confused about what he's doing or what he's done. Confusion doesn't come from God. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14 and 33 that, quote, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, end quote. Peace, that's what God has to offer. So to sum up this problem, the best thing anyone can do is to tell these kids the truth about who they are. There are only two genders, boys and girls, as designed by God Almighty. And that's a wonderful and beautiful thing. When God looked at his creation, he said, it is good. He didn't say, whoops, I put that one in the wrong body. Gender is directly related to biological sex and directly related to your sexual reproductive system. Gender norms are based on averages and trends. They change with the seasons and they are not biological fact. There are masculine women, there are feminine men, but that doesn't change biological fact. Some apples are green and some are red, but they're still apples. A red apple isn't a tomato. A green apple is not a lime. You can't have some metamorphosis, like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, and go from male to female. It doesn't work that way. That's just not a real thing that humans can do. But nobody is telling kids this in public schools. At least no school or state that I know of. Nobody has a zero tolerance policy when it comes to this trans issue. And nobody is taking the definitive stance on biological fact. Individuals might say that, but even the conservative states and schools that tell students to use the bathroom that aligns with their sex at birth, that's not the same thing as saying boys are boys and girls are girls, period. Telling kids to use the bathroom that aligns with their sex at birth is still too vague. They stop short of the truth. Kids in these schools can still be told, quote, okay, I was born a boy, but now I'm a girl. I just have to use the boy's bathroom, but I'm really a girl. So you see the difference? So I'm afraid that these little compromises are not addressing the root issue. Story number two, an elementary school in the San Francisco Bay Area has finally solved the problem of racism. They finally figured it out, everybody. All you have to do is just exclude all of the white people. That'll fix it. Oh, wait, that's still racism. So close. So last week, an elementary school in Oakland, California, hosted a sort of back-to-school, get-to-know-each-other school social event. The event was advertised as a, quote, social for black, brown, and API families, Asian Pacific Islander families. The event bulletin read, quote, if your family identifies as black, brown, or API, or are a parent slash caregiver of a black, brown, or API student, period, come hang out while we get a chance to know each other and build our community as we kick off this school year. Feel free to bring a ball, game, or a snack slash drinks to share, but no pressure. There will be fun games, light snacks, and drinks available, end quote. And of course, this event was hosted by the Equity and Inclusion Committee, 
Equity and Inclusion Committee, which is weird because the school event excluded white people. But if the Inclusion Committee hosted the event and they did not include a group of people because the color of their skin, what does that mean? Hmm. So let's talk about that bulletin and I'll just ignore the multiple grammatical errors in it and I'll just focus on the content. So this is obviously ridiculous. It's racism 101. Excluding a group of people from participation solely based on the color of their skin. That's the definition of racism and it's wrong. These school leaders should be fired. But the thing that I want to point out is that these DEI events, diversity, equity, and inclusion events, along with gender ideology and critical race theory, even though these things have been getting exposed for a few years now, they're not going away, are they? In fact, schools like this one are doubling down on these woke policies and practices. They're not even trying to hide these things. They're actually celebrating school functions like this, where white people aren't welcome. That's the woke version of inclusiveness. So as always, if your school has some sort of a DEI policy, you're gonna find out real quick that that policy is actually racist, prejudiced, discriminatory, or all of the above. Story number three, in Alaska, the Board of Education voted to support a proposal that would protect girls' sports. The proposal states, quote, if a separate high school athletics team is established for female students, participation shall be limited to females who were assigned female at birth, end quote. This proposal would change the current rule, which says that each school can decide for itself whether or not they'll allow boys to play on the girls' team. The proposal is not finalized yet. It still needs to be approved by the attorney general, who is a Republican and was appointed by the Republican governor, so it is expected to pass. I've been touching on this issue in recent weeks, but this seems like a win for conservatives, for girls in the state, or really just a win for people with common sense, people who oppose gender ideology. But like most of these parent notification laws and gender bills that are being passed around the country, they're only temporary. Once another governor or attorney general is in place, this could all be undone, and then the pendulum swings back in the other direction, and then what? We're right back where we started, only now we have more government red tape to fight through, and the government only has more control. So while I definitely agree that boys should not be playing on the girls' team, I don't believe that more government is a good thing. I actually like the current policy, which says that each school can decide for itself what to do. But the problem with that is a lot of those schools are pushing the transgender lie on kids. And then they're creating written policy to enforce that lie. It would be better if every individual school would take the position of saying, quote, hey, transgenderism is not a real thing. You can't swap your sex by changing your clothes, going into a different bathroom, joining the other sports team by feeling a certain way or mutilating your body. This isn't real, and we aren't going to lie to students about this, end quote. That would be the ideal position. And, you know, the state wouldn't have to be involved at all. Unfortunately, we've lost our shared values in this country, and we can't even agree on something so basic as male and female. Some people might say, 
Well, what about the students who really are confused about their gender? If you don't affirm them, you're harming them. Well, confusion happens. It's a part of life. Being confused isn't the end-all be-all. Everyone's been confused about something at one time or another. But how you deal with that confusion makes all the difference. What helps is having a loving parent to tell you the truth and to show you the truth. And outside of the word of God, there is no truth. Truth is relative. It's subjective. That's why we have everyone telling their own truth. That's why we need to adhere to God's word, which never changes and not only contains truth, but is truth. Story number four, an article in The Federalist states that the secret to closing education gaps is not racial equity, it's not money, but it's family values. According to a new study, family culture has a greater impact on academic performance than race or economic status. Researchers at the Fordham Institute studied 20 years of assessment data in eighth grade reading, math, and science. Those test takers were asked questions about their mother's education level, whether or not she finished high school or if she went to college. The researchers found that regardless of race or socioeconomic status, the higher the level of education for the mother, the higher the level of academic excellence for the student. And I'll say that again. The higher the level of education for the mother, the higher the level of academic excellence for the student. Basically, the more educated the mother is, the more successful the student is. The less educated the mother is, the less successful the student is. And that's generally speaking. And again, that's regardless of race or class. However, there was one discrepancy. The test data told a different story with Asians and Pacific Islanders. And with this particular group, the mother's education level and socioeconomic level did not seem to affect the student's performance in school. Asian students performed at the highest levels in math and reading, even if their mothers had little to no education and little to no money. That was only true with Asian Pacific Islanders. So while schools around the country are getting rid of their gifted and talented programs, claiming they discriminate against minorities, these researchers believe that gifted and talented programs are critical for success. They stated, quote, we need to learn from the success of Asian Pacific Islander students and their families, not be threatened by it or seek to depress their chances of gaining admission to prestigious institutions, end quote. So going back to those test results, why is it that for Asian students, the mother's lack of money and education didn't seem to have any adverse effects on the student's performance. Well, as this article contends, it's because of the family culture and the family values of marriage, hard work, and community. This belief is supported by the fact that 82%, this is a big statistic, 82% of Asian Pacific Islander children under the age of 18, so children, 82% live with both parents. For comparison, in the black community, only 34%, 34% of black children under 18 live with both parents. So 82% for Asian Pacific Islanders, 34% for black children. And it's pretty similar for white children as well. Now that's just one statistic, but 
It's been well documented that children that come from two-parent households are significantly more likely to graduate from college, to avoid poverty, and to avoid prison. This is why family is so important and why parents are so important. So any government program that incentivizes one-parent households needs to be done away with, like Lyndon B. Johnson's Great Society program. And any political ideology or school policy that undermines the sanctity of family or undermines the role of parents, it has absolutely no place in our schools. So parents, you matter now more than ever. And the data backs me up on that. What you do matters to your children and they will remember the reasons why you do what you do. Story number five is a pretty big story and it's been going on for a few months. I never heard of it until this week. But it turns out that nearly 200 school districts across the country have joined together to file a lawsuit against huge social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat. They're all being sued for their roles in contributing to the mental health crisis in America. One of the school boards filing this lawsuit said they cannot keep up with the rising number of students that need help with depression, anxiety, and thoughts of suicide. Schools can't keep up. An attorney for the school explained that the goal of the lawsuit is to get those companies to make their social media platforms less addictive. A spokesperson for Meta, which runs Facebook and Instagram, acknowledged that the mental health crisis is a complex issue and they implied that the COVID school closures played a major role. A spokesperson for Snapchat said that they've always been concerned with the well-being of consumers. That's why their app opens up to a camera as opposed to a feed. The idea is that Snapchat focuses on friendships and creation as opposed to mindless scrolling and consumption. However, I've recommended this book many times, but Abigail Schreier's book, Irreversible Damage, talks a lot about the correlation between social media and this mental health crisis. Basically, the more that kids use social media, the more depressed they are, the more anxious they are, the more suicidal they become. It's directly related. She also talks about the enormous role that apps like Snapchat have played in this whole transgender craze. You know, right now it's so common for kids who are going through this gender confusion to go to Snapchat, to turn to Snapchat or some other social media app to find support. So they'll find total strangers, also known as groomers, who encourage them to dive headfirst into transgenderism. And all of the statistics on social media's impact on mental health are shocking and heartbreaking. So parents, you need to know what you're dealing with here. And don't just hand this stuff over to your children. But here is a bit of encouragement, something to counter all of the depression and anxiety talk. Isaiah 26 and 3 says, quote, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I'll say that again. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That's saying that God will keep you in perfect peace if you'll trust him and if you'll keep your mind on him. And that's good news.
All right, and we're going to finish up with some updates on legislation in California. Even if you don't live in California, this stuff is still relevant because it, it could be coming to your state or your school. You know, if one state tries something out and it gains momentum, there's no telling where it stops. So the Chino Valley Unified School District recently passed a parental notification policy, which requires teachers to notify parents within three days if their child requests a new name or pronoun in school. That's a good thing. Then California's attorney general sued that school district, calling their policy a forced outing policy. Well, a state judge has just delayed the parental notification policy, so things are still up in the air while this legal battle plays out. And finally, there are two bills that have just passed the California Senate, and they will go back to the assembly before heading to Governor Newsom's desk. Assembly Bill 665 is known as the state-sanctioned kidnapping bill because it would allow a professional person to place children ages 12 and up into a residential shelter without parental consent and without parental knowledge. That's crazy. So we kind of saw something similar with Sage's Law, which is a story I talked about a bunch earlier this year. But why would a state take a child from their parents and put that child in a shelter? Well, there are three requirements under the current law that would need to be met. First of all, a quote-unquote professional person would have to believe that the minor is mature enough to intelligently participate in the conversation. And a professional person means a school counselor, school social worker, or psychologist. Number two, if the minor is capable of self-harm or bringing harm to others. And condition number three, the minor is the alleged victim of incest or abuse. But this new bill would do away with all of those requirements. This new bill states that if the professional person simply believes the minor is mature enough to participate intelligently in this mental health treatment or residential services, then the child can be placed in a shelter without parental knowledge or consent. That's why it's called kidnapping. And that's an accurate description in my opinion. So it all comes down to a judgment call by a social worker, a counselor, or a school psychologist. That's absolute insanity. Then the other bill, Assembly Bill 957, which would require courts to consider whether or not a parent affirms their child's transgender identity before they rule on custody disputes. So if a parent does not reinforce the transgender lie with their own child, they could very well lose custody of that child. So if you don't transition little Jimmy into a girl, he will no longer be your child. Again, this is absolute insanity. And both of these bills passed the state Senate. Think about that. There were enough state representatives that thought, hey, this is a great idea. And they voted to pass it. God help us and God help those in California who are fighting against this absolute wickedness. All right, everybody, that's all I have for you this week. That's the state of state schools. Take care.